<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Yeah. Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... Greg Ballman. Hey, Dave. Hey, John. You know, it's summer. It is. Right? And that's why you're sweating. School is out. <laughs> it's actually not why I'm sweating. <laughs> School's out. Yep. The kids are running wild. Crazy. What are you going to do to keep up with them? Uh, but, well, I'm just going to lay this haiku on okay. you. you. ready? Okay. Let me hear it. Wellness flows within. Mm. Nurturing body and mind. Mm. Vibrant life takes flight. Wow. Yeah. Now, if that doesn't inspire you to try Athletic Greens H1, we need to check your polls. See, I knew that's where you were going. (laughs) Consider me inspired, Dave. (laughs) And and listen, I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted to increase my energy to keep up with my kids. Yeah. And I am beating them in every Every race. It's amazing. And listen, look, at my age, I'm thinking year-round school has never looked better. Look, look to your left. Okay. Because I'm right here with you. Oh. <laughs> That's a pun on left and right. I take AG1 after my morning run, and it makes me feel unstoppable. Yeah. That is until the children join forces against <laughs> me, and then I'm immediately stoppable. Listen, it's just one scoop of powder mixed with water once a day. That's also, it. AG1 gives you increased energy and mood support, making it easy to live your best life. So if you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free 
F-R-E-E. One year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. The places you could go, you could go. Okay, and I know we're not the boss of you, but it's going to okay. sound like it right now. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dadville and get a free year supply of vitamin D. <laughs> vitamin D. That's my, that's my nickname in high school. Yeah. And five free travel packs. That's athleticgreens.com slash dadville. Check it out. We have an intimidated Greg Bomber with us today. I told John, I'm not being facetious when I tell you this. Okay? I'm being uh, very authentic. I have been so excited about this episode. As excited as maybe any episode we've ever done. That's massive hyperbole, but I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> well, I'm one, I'm one for such things. But I, I, I really, like, as we were talking about this episode, you know, your area of expertise, if I can go so far, is something I, um, I just care and think a lot about. And so as I've thought about Dadville over the years, one of the things I've been so excited about having is someone on to talk about exactly this. And so when we met, you know, years ago, and I sort of put two and two together, I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything that I've been so excited about is happening. And not to mention that you roll up in an Arsenal jersey, a Saka Arsenal jersey, which... I was going to say, when I saw you coming down the stairs in that, I'm like, oh, well, he's already won. Yeah, he's... Anything. Dave, this is the after party. He's got Dave in the palm of his yeah. I mean, my it's main, my favorite party. verse about generosity is when Jesus says to buy friends. And, and, and so that, yes. that's what I'm striving yeah. to do. Yeah. Well played. Oh, my gosh. Well played. Okay, so, so Greg, I'm going to talk about you for a second, so buckle up. Okay. As you just said, as you came in with John, born and raised, we got another Hoosier right that's here. Right. That's right. Indianapolis. Um, he accused John of being from Muncie. And we're not throwing shade at Muncie because I no, love Muncie. No, we're not. No. For all of our Muncie listeners, we love y'all um, <laughs> deeply. My favorite, uh, John has heard me say this a thousand times, my favorite bumper sticker I've ever seen in my life was when I played The Living Room with John many moons ago. And I saw 20 years ago, a bumper sticker that we found, I guess, one of your friends, Adam, had made. Yeah, Weber, Adam Weber. Yeah. That it said, Muncie, period. We're trying, period. <laughs> and I just thought that's maybe the best. I mean, I've thought about that numerous times. So, so both in uh, Hoosiers here, Indianap- Indian, Indianans, Indians. We just go by Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Oh. Yeah. Our vocabulary is <laughs> not that advanced. Just cut me off. It's just Hoosiers, Dave. Just say Hoosiers. We ran into the same problem, and that's how we came yeah, up with Hoosiers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got that place. Okay. Um, chairman of the board for Generous Giving, former chief growth, that's hard to say, chief growth officer of Nava Health. Nava Health feels like so cool and techy. Started as management consultant at McKinsey and Company. Went on to work at private equity firm Advent International. Has written two books, which we're so excited to talk about: God and Money, How We Discovered True Riches at Harvard Business School, and True Riches: What Jesus Really Said About Money in Your Heart. Received a BS in finance and economics from Indiana and an MBA from Harvard Business School, which is a flex of all flex, which I respect. And married to Allison for thirteen years, four kids. Nine, six, four, eight months, and uh, is that that's true right now? That's real time. So uh, marriage, fourteen years as of yesterday. Oh, congrats! Congratulations! Congrats! Thank you. Yeah, so that's a big time. Uh, And then yeah, kids are nine, six, four, nine months. Nine months. Okay. The first fourteen years are are the easiest. (laughs) All downhill from here. It's really that. (laughs) 
That's good, John. That's good. Allison's a marriage and family therapist. So, oh, so she does. She, she, you're just being she's been preparing me for this. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and then, so older two, biological, and, and younger two are adopted. That's right. That's great. Uh, and also, as we said, national family, which I don't want to say is as important, but it definitely holds a lot of water in this room. I mean, I define it as one of my primary character traits. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. On MySpace, on your MySpace it's, account. It's a, it's a big piece of my personal identity. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Okay. So we met. So, so to give some background as to why this is such a big, um, why I've been so excited about this for so long. Um, I, you know, when I think about my faith journey, my, my life as a Christian, I would say probably the most pivotal sort of Ebenezer moments in my faith have been through benevolence, Mm -hmm. like through money attached a lot of times, people's benevolence toward me, times that I had given in moments that felt really hard to give and seeing God's blessing. And then also, especially in this last month, like people's benevolence toward me, just like outpouring of, and and it's, and I think everybody's kind of geared a little differently, but for me, that is my tenderest spot. It is the place that I have the most, like if, if people, I think really sat down and said like, how do you think God is real? A lot of it would be that it'd be me telling you like how God has just provided in these amazing ways. So Years ago, I was sitting with Jeff Dobines, our mutual friend, and we were kind of having one of these conversations because Jeff is, is you know, helps uh, with all of my money management. And <laughs> I wish there was more for him to manage, but that's what we're going to get to, isn't it? And, uh, and we were just talking about this, just, you know, because Jeff's a dear friend and just a wonderful human being. And, and we were kind of talking about this thing, you know, just kind of like benevolence and because, you know, we're looking at my fan- finances and he's like, what are you thinking? And I was like, well, let's put some aside, do these things. And he's like, man, you really need to meet this guy, Greg. Like he's, he thinks like this. And, um, and then he turned me on to God money, which I love and loved. And, um, and then I actually listened to podcast. I don't know if I told you, I listened to podcast with, with the Bible project. Yes. Guys, remember, which yeah. is so John good. John and Tim are great. Yeah. yeah they're awesome. Uh, which aren't you on that? board that's right yeah the bible yeah yeah so um but it was this weird cool convergence of these things then you and i've spent you know a good bit of time since hanging and talking about this in arsenal and um and so really important things yeah i was gonna say they 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 go together um and so one of the things that i have been so excited about is having you on to do this because again this is like a big this is a huge passion of mine is is this thing that you've got a lot of expertise and, and written so much about and you went to harvard so you can really say whatever you want on this podcast and you're not going to get any pushback from me at least. Um, so, so t- tell us this, like how, how did you get to this place? Obviously writing these books, um, the knowledge you have about these things, how do you get from, you know, growing up in Indiana, kind of going the, the, the track of doing big money, you know, uh, uh, job, kind of world this is what like, we, we said john is over there smiling here like we started with me talking money things around music things that i was so comfortable in every word i say that i get into more finance and like big big money job. it's like i'm just i just have like cue cards with words on them job money yeah. How but you, you went to harvard yeah and then you are at this private equity firm that from the outside looking in it's like Oh, that's the that's the trek. That's the trek, and not and not only like you're at the pinnacle of that kind of trek. Like you you have arrived in this place, and then how do you get where you are now? Yeah. Well, let me start by saying thank you guys so much for having me here today. It's such a delight for me to do it. The second thing I just have to point out is, um, Dave, in your remarks, you were using the word benevolence, mm-hmm. and I love that because most people say charity. 
Mm. And the big difference I would say between those two words, charity is a handout and it is a posture of I'm above you and handing down to you. And I think it reveals a lot about your natural heart that you say benevolence, Mm. the etymology of which is underlied by kindness. Mm. And I think that kindness and goodness is fundamental to the generosity of God. So I just love that your heart naturally goes to that place. And I think that says a lot about you. I was starting from a very different place (laughs) than than that. Uh, A a much uh, less clear theology of money, or maybe more clear, but in the opposite and wrong direction. So um, growing up in Indiana, uh, came to faith at a young age, age 11 at church camp uh, in Indiana, great parents, uh, great church, involved in youth group, all the stuff. At the same time, had an interest in business from a very young age. My dad is in business. He also had a side hustle growing up. They didn't call it that back then, but that's what it was. It was like a side hustle that I worked in on weekends from like age five on. Oh, wow. Started my uh, first business in middle school, uh, burning CDs on Napster uh, for my friends. You You killed our industry. Got my killed our industry. uh, Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, uh, I didn't know it was illegal. Um, Oh, yeah. That's what they all say. I was going to say. Been living a life of crime ever since. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, those two things, you know, my faith and my interest in business never intersected. Mm. They were like parallel, non-overlapping parts of my right. life. And as a result, I think I developed a really unhealthy relationship toward money. Mm. Uh, so if you fast forward into my early 20s, I am working for a private equity investment firm in downtown Boston earning something like 250 grand. That's like a 24 year old. That is insane. That, that is insane. It was beyond anything I had contemplated. And, you know, we were still involved in the church, my wife and I, we were still sort of robotically tithing just because I'd been taught that, you know, growing up, but it was not worship. It was more like, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, like the cost of admission that I paid God every week mm-hmm. so that I could spend the other 90%, oh, wow. however I saw wow. fit. And like, you know, we spent that other 90% and we spent it well. Right. You know, right. we had a fancy apartment in downtown Boston. We were spending probably 1500 bucks a month at the city's finest mm-hmm. restaurants. Mm-hmm. We were taking like five-star international vacations. And now in retrospect, I can look back and see that part of that is because obviously we, you know, did enjoy nice things, but a bigger piece of it is my identity was so wrapped up in career achievement. And the way that we kept score, me and my peers, was on was money as mm. the proxy scorecard for career achievement and for ambition. And, you know, I could not have articulated that at that time, but God is now, in retrospect, giving me that clarity on how distorted my identity was. And that is what led, actually, to the issues with money. They mm. were a symptom of a deeper root issue. Mm-hmm. So it was with that posture that I arrived at Harvard Business School joined a Bible study with six other guys. We were all married, the seven of us. So the 14 of us became good friends. And we started asking this question of, a, you know, here we all are at what they call the West Point of capitalism. Mm. All of us love money. And yet we all, you know, profess the name of Jesus, at mm. least in theory. How do those two things intersect? And at that time, I had the opportunity to take a class over at Harvard Divinity School. Uh, which as you may know, is not like an evangelical seminary, (laughs) a a little different, but there was this course there called God and money. Uh, The business school administrators were confused why me and my buddies wanted to take a class at the divinity school. Uh, So that was a fun conversation to explain, but it was a great course. 
the final term paper for that course could be written on any subject related to God and money. And so my buddy John and I wrote a paper on how we would try to be wise stewards if we were ever blessed with more financial resources than we needed. Not presuming on God's future provision, but if we just took the average earnings curve from that school and said, what if that happened to us? It was a sum of money far beyond what we had ever experienced in our lives. So how would we wisely steward that? And if I'm being honest, really what we were trying to do is answer the question, like, how little can I tithe to still be in God's good graces? Mm, you know, right, like right. 10%, you know, is 12% like extra credit. And we read the whole Bible front to back, everything I had to say about money, all 2,350 verses, which we did not have to catalog, actually. Uh, a giant in our space named Howard Dayton had done that work before us. And I highly recommend engaging with his work. Um, and then we also surveyed 200 Harvard Business School alumni who were Christians uh, and ask them really personal questions about their income level, their net worth level, how much they gave, where they gave. And we used a combination of those two things, of God's word and the stories of these radically generous Christians to write our paper. And as God so often does, he used a combination of his word and the examples of brothers and sisters in Christ to totally transform our view. And that's when I realized how off track I had become. Can I ask you a, like a... It's almost a logistical question. I was saying this to Dave beforehand. <laughs> How did you, I mean, reading the whole Bible front to back is a feat, let alone you're at, at Harvard Business School, right? Which is an academic load that most, I, I couldn't handle just if I just, have, you know, dedicated two years of my life and had no other responsibilities. And now I'm hearing that you were also married at the time. How literally, how did you read the Bible front to back in a, in a year while you were there? Yeah, just really unhealthy sleep habits, uh, which I've That's continued to this day. You're yeah, young. But, you don't need sleep. Uh, the, the other thing to keep in mind about Harvard Business School is they're teaching you how to be a boss there. And the main thing you do as a boss is delegate. Uh, so, Touche. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so you had people no, reading it for you. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> reporting back. No, I'm joking. Um, uh, so we... I guess for clarity, didn't read literally every verse in the whole Bible, uh, but we read all the passages about money. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were able point. to study those. So, Which so, is a good chunk of it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, most scholars would probably say something like one third of Jesus' parables have to do with money. Yeah. And he talks multiples of times more about money than he does uh, heaven or hell, which is quite interesting, even more than prayer, in fact. Yeah. What, yeah. Were, the, what were the consistencies that you found in people's in the research you did with the, with the graduates and what they had to say about that space. Yeah. So the, what stood out the most is the group as a whole was radically generous. Hmm. Now we had massive sample bias because we were surveying affluent Christians who were Christian enough to be, take our survey and cared enough mm -hmm. about generosity to yeah. take our survey. Yeah, yeah, right. So we were not getting, you know, it would not pass muster at like a, you know, double blind study. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, but they were radically generous. However, even within that cohort, I'll say 10 to 20% exhibited this level of uh, and depth of joy and purpose that I had never encountered, mm. even amongst other Christians that I had looked up to in other areas of my life. And we could not explain that. And that is what really got us going. That is what got us to dig deeper and ultimately turn what was like a term paper into a book is really trying to get underneath what magic did those people have that was causing them to um, 
live in a sense of purpose and joy that I had never seen amongst mm-hmm. other Christians mm-hmm. that I, I was so used to, even in my workplace, other Christians living in anxiety and the hustle and the rat race and, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, but just 10% less nights than them so they can be more Christian, you know, right. Um, right. as a counterpoint to that, these other people were driving impact for the kingdom of God in a way that felt so centered on their unique purpose and experiencing such a great joy in that. And we wow. wanted to figure that out. John, call me Clausen because I'm a bit of a pickle. No, that's not the way you say it, is it? It's I'm in a bit of a pickle. You're in a bit call of a pickle. Call me a seed because I'm in a bit of a pickle. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Like I'm yeah. glad we've conveniently set up all these microphones and hit record right before this pivotal moment. <laughs> I thought it was odd that you set these up in the nick of time. Anyways, I've been thinking about how to better get my kids the nutritions. Nutritions? But John, really more the nutrients they need. It's either one I'll take at this point. And much unlike Def Leppard without all the sugar. <laughs> I love where you're going there. All right. Look, well, in a story we are breaking exclusively here on Dadville, Ooh. today's sponsor, Dave, No, it's Haya Health. Well, And they do exactly that, night. what you need. That is spooky. You see, typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, Yeah, which Ugh. is how people describe me in high school, filled with two teaspoons of sugar, Gross. unhealthy chemicals, Gross. and other gummy junk growing kids should never eat. Gross. Haya is a pediatrician-created super vitamin that has... Zero sugar, zero junk, and is perfect for picky eaters. I gave one to my daughter, who shall uh, remain nameless. Yes, I know. I mean, we've named her, but I'm just not going to say her name <laughs> right now. And she mowed the entire lawn in less than 30 minutes. Now, I can do it in less than 20, but for her age, that's pretty good. Just a huge pushback, because I don't believe that at all, but I do appreciate <laughs> the effort. You see, Haya is sent straight to your door each month, which gives us one less thing to think about. Dave, Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full body Body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. John, it's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. Free. Now look, this this is probably the listeners. I think this is too good to be true. But listen, no. we're going to take it to the next level because we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You can receive fifty. Five zero percent off your first order. That's Every, five, That's half. If everybody, my math is chill correct. out. Everybody, chill out. We're gonna tell you how. Gosh, <laughs> to claim this deal, you must go to hiahealth.com slash dadbill. This deal is not available on their regular website. So go to h i y a h e a l t h dot com slash dadbill and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Hey, Dave. John. I apologize for being awkward for okay. these past couple of years, but I've just been getting up the courage to ask you something. Oh, here we go. What do you think is the quintessential sound of summer? Oh, uh, okay. So many come to mind. My kids uh-huh. falling asleep before the sun goes down. Mm. The sizzle I've never of heard of meat on the grill. Mm, yeah. And the bridge to say you say me. <laughs> Deep cut. Yeah. Deep cut. Okay. For me, it's this. Did you just step on something? Or was that the chorizo I had for I, It never agrees with me. I just, it's a little tumbly rumbler. No, no, no. Dave, that, my friend, is the sound of Shopify, the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. You know, I've always wanted to start a side hustle where I design formal wear for pets. I'm calling mm-hmm. it 
not kidding around. Uh, <laughs> 10 out of 10. No notes, Dave. I love Risa. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. And Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person point-of-sale system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. I'm, I'm, I'm circling back a little bit, John, but okay. the real breakthrough for me when I, was when I finally nailed the fit for a beagle. That's Those can be tricky. Yeah. Yeah, the, tail, the tails are unforgiving. <laughs> Boy, if you've said that once, you've said it a hundred times. <laughs> Go sign up for a dollar per month. One dollar per month, That's folks. That's crazy. Trial period at shopify.com slash dadville, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dadville to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash dadville. What have you found when you think about that, as you said, that sort of demo, that slice of people, that cohort, do you think there's a tie between, cause this is, boy, this is talking about a tale as old as time, but in Christendom, do you think there's a tie between where they are financially and their benevolence? Like, do you, like, cause that, that's something that's always really tricky scripturally is that thing of like, you know, God is going to over and abundantly and two times the, you know, the, the verse on you know, to those who give and who he really takes care of. But, but, you know, outside of America, that's a tricky little space. Cause you're like, well, wouldn't mother Teresa, she would have been a billionaire if that, if that math were like good things and kindness right, equals right. money. But then there's also a really good case that can be made for if you are financially um, benevolent, God tends to keep doing, you know, w- w- what did that look like? Just think of that cohort, especially because you got people who are doing really well and giving. So you're like this kind of example of this. But what have you all found in your studies around that space? Yeah, that's a great question. We've spent a lot of time thinking about that. First, let me start by saying that we, you know, fully reject prosperity gospel yeah. theology. Yeah. It is not a give to get mentality. Right. Like we don't think there is scriptural defense for that view. However, I do think that there are two passages in Matthew that are back to back that juxtapose this question in a quite interesting way. Mm-hmm. So in Matthew five and six, Jesus says two things that on the surface may appear contradictory. So in one passage, he says, uh, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing with respect to giving. Um, so basically don't make the giving all about yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, then in the very next chapter, he says, uh, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. Mm. And if you read kind of above and below both of those verses, it's about money. It's about situations of giving. Yeah. Uh, why would Jesus say two things that appear contradictory within something like 30 verses of each other? If you read the context, it's all about motive. It's the why. Mm. Mm. And so I think um, if you connect the concept of motive to the parable of the talents, What's key to understand about the parable of the talents is that the workers were stewarding those resources for the owner, Mm. not for themselves. Mm. And I think to the degree that we are able to steward God's resources that he has given us for his purposes and glory, he often, although not always, does choose to bless us with more. Hmm. To the degree that we are being charitable to get our name on buildings or build our personal acclaim, I don't think that God is going to continue to honor that. Mm. Now, there are other places in scripture, like Ecclesiastes, for example, where uh, the writer laments, like, why 
are bad people becoming wealthy in the land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I think it, I, I think you can't draw a one-to-one correlation right. between these things. It's not like an algorithm. There is no formula in right. scripture for holy wealth creation. Yeah. Well, and wealth in terms of like money is not always a blessing. That's right. That's and it. with mother Teresa, like, you know, yeah. her, this is, this is why for me, I mean, I was so interested to talk to you today because money, as my wife will tell you, money is my hangup money and it's not money per se it's security it's a thousand percent security and i'm not saying that i'm i'm not above wanting to have nice things but i'm like if if i got a billion dollars today i'm not sure i would change anything about my life i would just feel secure you know and the freedom that you're talking about these people that you did this survey for and the joy that they feel as you're talking about that i'm like I know, I know that that could be mine too. If I let go of the things that, I, that I'm holding on to. But it's like, I don't know, I don't know what God has in store. Like the, that bright, sunny path down here that he wants me to go down there. I'm like, yeah, but what if that involves moving yeah. and yeah. selling our house? And like, what if that bumps up against my pride and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, but to your point, is is it, would you say in all the research that you've done, it's just as simple as like, it's just your heart. It comes down to your heart. It can look a million different ways. You could be, you know, in a mansion or you could be like living in your car and it's just, it's all about your heart and your posture and your motivation. I I think that's right. I do think we can get more specific underneath that. So, you know, my really good friend, John, who uh, we wrote the books together, he is more like you, John, Uh where he is more of a, um, finding security in wealth. We call that like a saver mindset. I'm a bit more of like a profligate spender mindset, you know, is a, a different set of problems. And what John would say is that he has learned over time that he places too much of his identity and security in his bank account than in his savior. Yep. I think we see in Proverbs, many verses about the prudence of saving So it's not that saving is bad. It's that placing your security in savings is bad. Right. Mm. Yeah. Because it's fleeting. Um, And if it keeps you from helping others and being benevolent. That's right. And if it keeps you from the greater good that God has for you. You know, I think that the issue ultimately is trusting that God has what's best for you, not what the security of an American checking account has for you. Right. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I have to say this. One of, one of the things that was so, so when, when God gave me you came out, God, I have so many of these moments in my life that I'm trying not to talk about because this isn't about me today. This is about you, GB. But one of the most poignant moments of my life with this, in this exact space that you're speaking to, John, is like, I'll never forget this moment. Uh, like the first check for God gave me you come in and it was sizable, you know, uh, and I'd never seen that money before. I Just mouth how much it was. Yeah. Just. Um, and that's back when Blake was doing the Apple. He was, gift yeah. Cards. He was like, "Thank you so much. Here's just a little. Song. It's half used, but you can at least get some drinks and an onion ring blossom." And um, but I just remember one. I I did not grow up with a lot of money, so that language was completely uh, foreign to me. I didn't think about money a lot. I'm I'm still not someone who forecasts things, or you know, I pay a lot more attention to it now, especially with kids, because there's a real onus 
of like, I have to keep these children <laughs> educated and fed and alive or For whatever, sure. you know, but at that, in that time of life, I just didn't think about it much. And so when that, I, I'll, I'll just never forget that first check coming in and it being like, wow, that's a, that's a lot more money than I've really ever thought about, which doesn't mean it was very much for some people, but for me, it was a lot. It was right after Ben, our oldest was born. And so I was holding him in his nursery, walking around, it was probably 2 a.m., you know, and he had woken up and Annie and my deal with, with him was, you know, if he wasn't op- uh, waking up to feed, then I, I dealt with him, you know, and changed him and all that stuff. So that was one of those moments. Room is pitch black. It's our old house. And I remember walking around thinking, okay, without knowing I was thinking this, I was thinking like, okay, that's, that's a good little chunk of change. How much money do I need to be like, cause I was just so tired of touring and I was like, be off the road, not have to do things I don't want to do. And I'm telling you, and look, I'm not saying it was, but what it felt like the voice of God said to me as clear as I've ever heard him say anything was, how much money do you think keeps you safe from me? Mm, and good. I stopped. I remember stopping in the room. Hold, ben was dead asleep because I'd just been pacing for so long because I was thinking about this so much and feeling the weight of that. And I think God was just like, look, this, we're getting into some Jonah territory here. Where it's like, there's not going to be enough money to your point, John. We're like, you can put a number on it and be like, okay, now God, you can't get, this is enough money. You kind of can't get to me anymore. Like, I don't have to go do anything I don't want to do. I don't have to, you know, I got enough to, I can just do what I want to do. And then to your point, kind of give my 10% admission to ride and I'm still in the park, little Christian park. Exactly. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I I think, I think that is, that is one of those things that I, can still feel the struggle with to John's point of like, what does the accumulation look like? Look, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Not, and, and we do love being benevolent, but as I've gotten older and responsibilities pile up and I'm not single or just me and Annie and money's kind of whatever. And you know, how, how do you, you know, how do you balance it? How do you have kids and still, you know, to your point, be wise and a steward, which is still, I have a million questions about money with God, but one of my hardest ones is like, Every time we put money in retirement, there's a weird part of me that I don't think is the Lord that feels kind of like, what are you doing, man? Like, the, like you could be giving this to someone. It's, mm-hmm. And especially in that season of my life, the first time I was dealing with money, there was no scene that moved me more than that um, uh, Schindler's List. That's mm-hmm. that idea at the end of it. He was like, this money could have saved this. You right. know, and just yeah. that feeling of depravity for him. But for me, it was this real thing of God being like, look, you got to figure this out because you aren't me. You can't go you know, you're, you're giving all your money away to save whoever, wherever, or to pay for clean wells or whatever in Africa. Like these are great things, but you're, you're taking me out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? And so I think, you know, that, that is a tricky space to navigate as a parent, as a dad, where you're like, I want to make money. I want to pay for my kids to do things. And we do. And I'm like you, I enjoy doing things, you know, like there's a, there's an Epicurean in me, you know, an enthusiast in me. That's like, you know, I want to say, but God, I want to experience this thing, but then also not living with that sort of like Christian guilt of going, but then the other side of it too, where you're like, you just give it all away. And it, and I don't think God's saying that either, but the navigation of those things is a tricky space. 
Yeah, big time. I mean, Dave, I think you've done an awesome job of like bookending the dilemma here, <laughs> you, you know? Um, and what I typically do is just like use the formula that's in Second Thessalonians. Like, yeah. Oh, wait, there's no formula. Like there is no formula. <laughs> was, uh, did you see me lean in? I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. God, I knew you were going to tell <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, you should have. Uh, Dave was prepared for insight right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm so ready. Uh, I'm just going to sit in the mystery. No, so um, first of all, let me say that I love the moment that you shared about your time carrying Ben in the nursery because... Um, what that sh- what God said to you in that moment shows two things. He does care about your money, mm. but he cares about your money in the context of your heart. <laughs> he wants your heart. And the reason Jesus talks so much about money is because he knows that humans are wired in such a way that we are particularly prone to the trappings of money and wealth. Yeah, yeah. And so I think what he said to you was not having that check is bad. Mm. He was saying, I will still want your heart, mm. even with the money. And I think what we need to understand, especially as Westerners, is we live in the most materialistic culture in human history. Mm. So much so, in fact, that we, I think, will get to heaven one day. And I truly believe God will say to our generation, y'all did some great stuff. Billion people uh, lifted out of poverty, Mm. massive steps forward in health and human flourishing across multiple dimensions. But y'all, especially in the West, committed the sin of materialism every hour mm-hmm. of every day of your whole life. And you didn't realize it. Yeah. And so our error risk in our culture is as Tim Keller likes to say, just assume you're greedy, mm. just assume you're greedy <laughs> and then filter your thinking about money through yeah. that lens. Now with respect to like the bookends you said and finding that balance, that is the question that John and I spent forever researching. Mm. And uh, here's where we landed, which is first, Everything we have belongs to the Lord. If you ask any Christian that, they would intellectually assent to that point. So uh, yeah. we weren't trying to you know, make a provocative statement. Right, we all right, know right. that. Right. What we were pointing out is in our own lives and in the lives of others that we observed, there is a huge gap between what we verbally express and how we live. Mm-hmm. So, so the issue there is a gap between our belief and our practice around mm-hmm. everything we have truly belongs to God. So mm-hmm. how can we try to tighten that gap? Second is if everything does belong to the Lord, then it ought to be used for his purposes. And that includes providing for our families, as we see in First Timothy 5 and 6, even where it says, like, you know, to not provide for your family is worse than an unbeliever, is what Paul says in that, wow. in, in, right there. So to your comment about now as husbands and as dads, like, this gets complicated. I actually think um, the details are complicated, but the theory of providing safety, opportunity, and flourishing for our kids, like, that's not complicated. Like, mm-hmm. that's a command. And so I think we should not feel bad about doing that. Wow, that's great. And then third is... There, anything above and beyond that then can be given back to God's kingdom for his purposes. Uh, and so we spent a long time trying to answer the question, how much do I really need to keep? Mm. At first we tried to answer how much, um, should I give? And I think that is actually asking the question backwards because Mm -hmm. it's all God's and should be used for his purposes. So a better question is how much of God's money do I need to keep to provide safety, opportunity, and flourishing for my family? Mm. And then everything else I've been called to steward back into his kingdom. Mm. Uh, And, and, you know, so that's what we spent a lot of time in spreadsheets. So is the problem (laughs) word flourishing? Is that the, is that the pain point? I think so. And opportunity, you know, (laughs) look at you, you know, I I think there's like, I think there's gray area in there. That's beautiful. Mm. Um, I think we see in scripture, even, you know, lifestyles lived by biblical characters of massive variants ranging from ultra wealthy to much less mm. and got, you know, in sort of the, the hall of fame in Hebrews, like they're all listed there, mm. you know, uh, David, a man after God's own heart lived one of the most lavish lifestyles yeah. in human history. 
Um, and, and, and also what is fascinating to your point about that is one live that way. And, and, and when he is talked about with that, it is not a negative context. David's wealth is never used as a shame method in those right. books. Like it is not something where he's like, and we had a lot of stuff, you know, like it's said in a way that kind of is like, look how, look where he was in society in his life. Right. Ditto. And Ditto t- Abraham. Yes. I mean, you can go down the list. Yeah. And two, you know, I, I remember in college, this messing me up so bad reading the first time about the building of the temple in the old Testament, because I have a real, uh, this is just a, this is a whole other podcast. I have a real struggle with Christendom glorifying especially men who have made a lot of money and calling that holy like that's a real problem for me mm-hmm. and this really messed my paradigm up because when god gives them the instructions to build the temple it's so specific and ornate and lavish and that really screwed my paradigm up because mm-hmm. i was like no god doesn't care about things he cares about the heart right and it's like get the cedars of lebanon and in the purple from this one shell or what and i was like gosh so he does and these things bring him glory because they're glory they're they're beautiful and, and glorifying mm-hmm. right so it's it's again it's living that <laughs> Oh God, why does he do this to us? But like living in that gray yeah. space of like it being okay to build beautiful things and whatever, and have things that really are uh, possibly ornate, but, but in the spirit, but the spirit of it is such a big deal, you know, because what I want to say is like, those things don't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. God just cares about the heart. He's just, you know, he picked David, the youngest of all of them, to, you know, but at the same time, there's so much in scripture you can't get away from that, that it, that infers some sense of like, his wealth was because he made good decisions and we honored that, or he was a man who had things and that was a big deal, you know? And it's, and so it's really, you know, it, one of these things that I'm always trying to find is just the quick fix. And I think God just consistently is like, that's just not, I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Or, or that it even is something that needs fixed. Right. So like <laughs> the, um, and what I mean by that is the annual wrestling with the Lord on this topic is the way that we give our heart to him on this issue. Mm, mm. Um, and so like to your point, you know, I think there is like this, because our culture is so materialistic, there is this notion of the counterpoint to that is it's all about the heart. Mm. And I would actually say that's not a, a correct, like opposite, you know, yeah. or comparison point. Um, you mentioned the building of the temple. Uh, my favorite, my favorite passage in the whole Bible about giving is with respect to building the temple in first mm-hmm. Chronicles 29 verses 11 to 14, where King David says, after doing this massive collection, he led by giving the most like an insane amount of wealth to build the temple. And then he asked all the people to do the same. And this is a King David who had already been told that he wasn't allowed to build the temple. Mm. His son Solomon was going to build it. And even so what he says to God is in front of the congregation, um, uh, Lord, all riches and power and glory come from you. Who am I and what are my people that we may be uh, allowed to offer back to you a portion of what you've given to us? And mm. then they throw a huge party with the mm. collection that they just had. Mm. And that is the posture that he had toward the opportunity to steward wealth for the Lord in an extravagant way. Mm. And I think the way to think about the temple, God's presence was there. Mm. And the majesty and splendor of the temple was appropriate to create the sacred space where we encounter the Lord. Mm. And I think if we think about our wealth, using it in ways to create sacred space, which is not in our case, a temple, but you know, fostering human relationship, encouraging human flourishing, that creates the sacred relational space where we encounter the Holy spirit. And I think that's how we should think about our wealth. Jeez. So, so you have four kids now, and what's the oldest? Nine. Nine. Is it? 
Yeah. So they're, you know, they're getting to the age where they can start to grasp some of these concepts and all that. What, what kinds of, how do you talk to them about money? Yeah, th this is a huge question. Two thoughts on this. One with respect to young kids, one with respect to older kids. I don't have older kids yet, but after having asked for advice on this topic from like a hundred people, this is yeah. what I've synthesized it uh. down to. So with respect to those with younger kids, uh, they don't understand money. Hmm. And even my nine-year-old who can now do basic math, he still doesn't really get money or how much things cost. And right. even like, you know, our mortgage pay payment is like an amount of money that is unfathomable to his right. mind. Yeah. So it's not that helpful to teach him about financial generosity. You know, it is helpful to teach him about service generosity. Mm. What he understands is the scarcity of Allison's and my time. Mm. And if he sees us serving others, ideally with the kids, that resonates with him. Mm. And so my encouragement for parents of young kids is to emphasize teaching your kids generosity, not so much through money, although yes, do that, you know, do the three jars, give, save, yeah. spend all that. That's great. More important, be generous with your time. And also, when we are generous with our time, that softens our heart in a way that our kids pick up on. With respect to older kids, don't underestimate their capacity to contribute to the family's generosity plan, even as teens. Wow. So I really think as teens, 13 or 14, best practice is to bring them into the family's financial discussion, give them you know, an appropriate understanding of the situation that the family is in from an income and net worth perspective, and invite them to participate in that you know, allocate a portion of the giving that they're responsible for giving and let them make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Mm. Uh, and I think don't, don't feel like, uh, just, you know, even if they are knuckleheads as teenagers, like they can really contribute here and giving them some agency in this, I actually think bears broader fruit spiritually. Uh -huh. Do you think they like, do you set the giving for them or do you let them, do you say like, well, how much do you want to give? This is how much your allowances or whatever. I think the latter, I think yeah. let them be led by the spirit and modeling the, because they're, you know, as we've joked, like there is no formula for this modeling the wrestling with the Lord on this. And then as they become teenagers, mm -hmm. inviting them into that wrestling mm -hmm. and trust with, you know, th honestly, man, like kids are pretty generous. They may end yep. up giving a lot uh -huh. <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> One of mom always, this is weird and I'm not trying to phrase myself because I was too young, to, but mom still tells a story. We went to DC one time and I had, she, they'd given me money and I gave all of it away in the first day to homeless people. Amazing. And I remember mom and dad had to pull me aside that night. I was like, okay, oh, we love the spirit, but maybe giving all of your $75 away for the whole trip on the first day to homeless people. And I was like, well, they needed it. And they were like, okay, it, to your point. What a good lesson. But, but yeah. Right? And I was kind of like, so that's great. That's great. But maybe just like, if you, you know, we want you to enjoy it too. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. That's all I know is they, they looked like they needed it. But to your point, that's, that's like a good moment for them, which they did a great job sitting me down and kind of going like, okay, let's talk about why that we get the heart behind it. But you know, and then you sort of open the can on just sort of the homeless epidemic and totally. which is tricky, yeah, but, yeah. but it was, it was a really great conversation to have. With the it, goal, I feel like for me hearing that story is like, I want, I want to teach my girls some good habits around money and just sort of the basics of like budgeting and yada, yada, yada. I think that that's not taught enough to, mm. to kids, but I want them to come out on the other side as adults. And, and as with any topic, I don't want them to have the baggage that I have. So I don't want them to mm. be tied to it at all. Mm. There's sort of part of me that's like, if you get out into adulthood and you have to come back home because you just gave all your money away, 
Like, yeah. we can deal with, let's deal with that, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. a thing. Yeah. But trying to sort of like, I suppose, like walk that tightrope. I don't know if they're juxtaposed things, but like managing money, but at the same time, not feeling like money is connected to your identity or your worth or any of those kinds of things. You know? Man, John, I think you nailed it. Like what's cool about that moment, Dave, that you shared and John hit on this is it brought each of you toward the middle hmm. because yes, there is some prudence and some wisdom, hmm. you know, you don't necessarily, it, it may not be wise to just give all your money away all the time. Yeah. Uh, there is one person in the Bible, the rich young ruler who is called to do that hmm. in all other mm-hmm. cases. I mean, um, uh, when, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, right. was like up in the tree and then, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he, um, and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. Yeah. Thank you. Rumble I knew, I, I, knew I had the, I knew I had the yeah, wrong yeah. name. Yeah. Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus, Not to say that Nicodemus wasn't ever up in the tree. Probably, we just don't have, he don't, we don't yeah. have the data at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's in the Apocrypha. So, <laughs> um, when, uh, when Zacchaeus was up in the tree and then, you know, talks to Jesus, invites him over, he gives half away. Jesus says today, salvation has come to this house. Mm, right. So yeah. you clearly can't say that you have to give everything away. Maybe that's not wise. On the flip, we as adults have built up a hundred reasons not to give. And so seeing a child with a childlike faith give without all that baggage, which mm-hmm. John is, I think the great word you used, we can meet in the middle and that is where we can wrestle with the spirit on this stuff. Hey Dave. Yeah. Can you believe summer is almost over? Hold on. Summer is over. Some, one of my dear friends has a great song about that. Oh. I digress. It's nice to hear. Yeah. It feels like it just kicked off, though. I know, I know. You I know? know? But we've still got time to savor those precious summer moments. Summer is over. It's and just hooking. just hooking. <laughs> what better way to do it than with our knock-around sunglasses, Johnny? So you're saying that knock-around has the perfect shades to help us make the most of the end of summer? That's exactly that's what, what I'm, I'm hearing. Saying. No, that's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. Knockaround.com has the perfect sunglasses to keep those summer vibes alive until the very last mm, sunset. That is fantastic. Yeah. I want to soak up every ounce of summer that's left. Okay, let me ask you this. Do they offer different styles for different summer adventures, or is it just like one? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm slightly offended that you asked that, okay? They've got styles for every summer scenario, trademark. Whether you're <laughs> chilling at the beach, grilling in the backyard, or embarking on an epic road trip, knock-around sunglasses will take your summer game okay. to the next level. Yes, that's exactly what I need. Okay, another question. Why yeah. are the shades so special for the end of summer? Seriously, John, it's starting to hurt my feelings, okay? <laughs> Not only do knock-around sunglasses protect your eyes from the sun's rays, but they provide an instant boost of summer coolness. With their mm. trendy designs and high-quality construction, you'll be turning heads wherever your summer adventures take you. That's perfect that's exactly what i need and here's why because i want to make the most of these last sunny days Mm -hmm. while looking like the king of summer style so spill the beans here how can we get these knock around shades at a discount okay at this point it feels like you're trying to pick a fight like these (laughs) it honestly the secret to unlocking the best summer deals is dadville 15 you heard me yes use that promo code at knockaround.com and you'll enjoy an exclusive discount to make the end of summer even sweeter i'm still writing i'm using bubble letters okay dadville 15 it is all right the key to preserving the summer spirit and saving some dough while you're doing it knockaround.com brace yourselves for a dad invasion that's a spirit john there we go knockaround.com and our promo code will extend the summer magic and make every day feel like a vacation absolutely let's grab our shades you know chase those sunsets make the end (laughs) 
Sorry, I, it's just so hooky, John. I can't. Let's make the end of summer one to remember, Dave. Summer's almost done. So, folks, if you want to savor the last few days of summer in style, head over to knockaround.com and remember to use our promo code DADVILLE15 for an exclusive discount. Let's make these remaining summer days count. That's right. Knockaround.com, where style meets the sun-soaked end of summer. Get your shades and embrace the season's finale with Dad Flip. Summer's almost over. Tangled in the moment. Soon. <laughs> Man. Dave, Jeez, yeah. I want to give a shout-out. Yeah. And when I give a shout-out, I always I laugh because it just brings me so much joy you to give a shout-out to Claritin yes. Yes. for supporting this episode and providing us with free oh, samples. You know it, John. This time of year, my allergies are in fuego. They're mm-hmm. always on the attack, but I use this, and you should too. Oh, I do, Dave. Every day in our house. Yeah. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, which is, this is me raising my hand, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill to relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, runny nose, itchy and watery eyes an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. John, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for a long time, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for a run without my eyes watering. I may be crying, but it's not sure, from allergies. Totally different. And I can sing without feeling like I have a fr- like a big old, let's not even call it a frog. It's a, it's like a toad. It's like a family of toads. It's a family. It's a turtle. Yeah. In my so you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? Yeah, me. I it's know. time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. John? Yeah, Dave. In a story we exclusively broke here on Dadville, we are both parents. (laughs) And being a parent is tough, but when one of your kids isn't feeling great, it's super tough. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's where today's sponsor, Relief Band, comes in. You know, sometimes on road trips, my kids sometimes feel like a little icky, you know. Mm -hmm. We were headed out of town just the other day, and I made sure to pack a few Relief Bands just in case. Well, that's very wise of you, Dave. And check this out. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting. It works to help with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. So in case I wasn't clear, Relief Band is legitimately a band you wear on your wrist to give you relief from nausea and uses technology that works with your body so it's safe, drug-free, and has zero side effects. That simple. Relief Band both treats and prevents nausea so you can help stop nausea from becoming a problem in the first place. It's a must-have for every road trip. So if you always have a flashlight on hand for a blackout or a first aid kit on hand for emergencies, then you need a relief band for those unexpected nausea moments. Right now, we've got an exclusive offer just for Dadville listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use the promo code Dadville, you will receive 20% off plus free shipping. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F band.com and use our promo code DADVILLE for 20% off plus free shipping. 
So, so, so something that would, for listeners that I love about what you and Allison do, which I think is really amazing. We talked about this at, at, at coffee one morning is that you guys really do have like a structure you do this with. Like this isn't just, you know, you write books about it and you know, you have a discipline, right? A discipline involved that how y'all do that. One of the things that I love, um, which you've actually sent me the spreadsheet. It's incredible. Um, and how y'all sort of break everything down, but something that I love that you said that I, is, has meant so much to me, um, and has affected my marriage so much that I would love for you to share with people who are listening is, um, as married people is that it doesn't mean that your passions and your callings and benevolence have to line up with hers. Right. And I love that. Would you talk a little bit how you have that budgeted? So you have your kind of bucket, she has hers and they don't have to be, you know, if you're sitting at a, at a, at a, um, you know, even a fundraiser or you bump into a friend, like you can go, this is what I want to give to. And you can go home and, and she goes, you know, I don't know. And and it's, you know, it's okay because it's not, I think that's something that could be hard for a lot of people. I know it's been for me is like, everything has to be this corporate agreement. Like we have money we give together and we need to always be in sync. But would you, I love how y'all, how you think about that. Yeah. Big time. So it, it started from uh, really this exploration of the question of why does God call us to give? Because he's sovereign and he doesn't need our money. You know, he'll accomplish his purposes, <laughs> yeah. you know, irrespective of my obedience, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he does command us to give, so why? And, you know, where I've landed on that question is giving should be a joyful act of worship. Mm. And I think when we give out of an understanding uh, of three things, one is that God is the ultimate generous giver, you know, mm. so we give out of an understanding of God's character. Two, we give out of uh, a desire for sanctification that is growing in Christ-likeness. You know, we become more like Christ when we exhibit his character back to him and benevolence is one way we do that. And then third is he has invited us uh, into his kingdom work here on earth. And so we give out of one way that we step alongside him and fulfilling his kingdom purposes here on earth. When we give out of a posture of those three reasons, that is worship. So that's where it started for us. Then we said, okay, what does that look like mm. practically? Because one thing about this whole generosity conversation, it starts in the heart, but it doesn't end there. Because at the end of the day, you actually have to make giving, spending, and saving decisions, right? So it mm. gets tactical. You guys are probably familiar with the Love Languages book, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, so I, th- I don't want to take the analogy too far, but I do think there is a commonality with giving in that we can worship God through different ways of giving and different people are able to better worship God through different ways of giving. I'm like a spreadsheet nerd. So for me, like by January 2nd of every year, like I've got my spreadsheet and I've got like all the giving planned and all the auto debit set up and like, fellas, I'm telling you, like I am worshiping God with that spreadsheet, mm. you know? Um, but that spreadsheet does nothing for Allison. Uh, she is not worshiping her creator with that spreadsheet. And so over time, we have learned that she uh, is better able to worship through spontaneous giving uh, in the moment at any time for any reason. And so we've allocated a portion of our giving to what we call Allison's slush fund, uh, (laughs) which she can give any time for any reason to anyone. Wow. And she experiences the Lord through Mm -hmm. that giving. And I'll also tell you, um, I think there's like a place for planned giving. Like, that's great. But- the way that Allison gives, um, I bet, you know, 
almost all of the best stories we have about giving over the past few mm. years have come from the Holy Spirit pulling us spontaneously into something happening into our local community that I would have missed because of my spreadsheet. Mm. I actually do think of it as giving in unity because as two become one flesh, we're rounding out mm. and she's expressing her unique characteristics within our unity as am I. Can you speak more to, I love what you just said and I, I, I don't think you can say this next thing enough. Can you speak more to what you mean by local community? Because I do think there's a misnomer with benevolence and giving that feels like, okay, then we look, uh, we look toward Africa. We look toward, uh, third world countries. We look toward, um, which we do, right? Absolutely. We do that. But I love that you just said that. Cause I was going to ask you about that earlier. W- what does that mean to y'all? Like, how have you seen that? And what's the importance of your local, like even friends potentially being people that are, that are, um, you know, people you're benevolent with and to. Big time. Yeah. So I think God has each of us in this time and place for a reason. And he wants us to be salt and light in our local community. And one way we can do that is through benevolence in our local community. Mm. Now, look, like I can show math that shows the ROI on giving to, you know, the well in Africa is like, you know, higher souls saved per dollar or whatever. <laughs> right. You know, but that's like not how God keeps track of things. You know what I'm saying? And so as wise stewards, I do think we are accountable for the uses of the funds that we give. And mm. so to some degree, you want to think about effectiveness. You certainly don't want to flush the money down the toilet to a wasteful ministry. And I do think there's a place in our giving to, you know, um, geographies that are far away from here. Mm. And God calls us to be salt and light in this community. Mm. Uh, And I think he, again, wants our hearts and our ministry is best when our, our time, our skills and our money are in a virtuous cycle of impact in our, and that's easier to do in our local community. Yeah. Uh, And so the way that we think about where to give. Hmm. So another nerd. So then John and I, again, read all the Bible verses a second time. And this time thinking about where does God call people to give in Mm. scripture? Mm. Um, And there's three main ways uh, that we see. Number one is serving the poor. That is by far the most common command when it comes to where to give money by count in scripture. And I always think about Isaiah 58, which is a whole chapter about what happens when we're obedient and serving the poor. And um, Isaiah says that when we're obedient and serving the poor, the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. Mm. And I just love that Man. image and want and pray for that protection over my family. Right. Mm. So, and I do think the Western church actually does not do enough mm. for serving the poor. Mm-hmm. So that's a big pillar. The second one is spread the gospel. So that's evangelism. Uh, and then the third is disciple existing Christians. Hmm. Uh, and, and so that would, in our context, most commonly be expressed by building up the local church yeah. and investing in the local church. So we allocate our giving across those three things. We actually have a fourth category, which we, uh, you know, I would call it encouraging others, right? So, and this is what I would say is having impact in our local community. And this is what Allison does so well. Dave, you even mentioned like giving to friends. This is a longer story, but we actually even like created a 501c3 whose mission is to foster generosity, which honestly can like mean anything. Wow. Uh, And so we now can like anonymously bless anybody in our community when Mm. they're in need uh, or just for fun. So for example, we were at a conference last weekend and we wanted to do what we call a generosity caper, which is sort of just a spontaneous and extravagant act of generosity, Mm. honestly, for no reason. The Holy Spirit always shows up. So we had this like conference breakout. My buddy, Matt was leading this. We had a, we we ordered Chick-fil-A to be delivered to the conference and just one sandwich. 
and so this this guy comes in and he was actually like on his day off so i'm not 100 percent sure on why he had to come in on his day off i mean i am sure the holy spirit but i don't know the real reason the practical reason uh and he is uh an immigrant from africa was orphaned in africa made his way here is now married has a two-week-old baby his wife came with him with the baby i also don't know why that happened She's in the back of the room, very unhappy that he was called in on his day off mm-hmm. to deliver one sandwich to a conference. And then we tip him $5,000 and his wife starts sobbing <laughs> in the back and we're able to come around uh. them and speak God's identity onto them and let them know they matter and are loved. And that like, you know, I'm not getting a tax deduction on that, but that's like, you know, the best money we're going to spend all year. You know what I'm saying? So that's so great. Yeah. What a great idea. I start delivering some sandwiches. You know, oh my God. You can, but you said no. I saw on your Uber Eats. You're like, I'm not taking that's that. True. Turn that down. That um, th- there was a. This is so random, but one of my favorite accounts is Mr. Beast because if he's sort of this, you know, in the mainstream space, this insanely creatively benevolent guy. But there was the coolest moment. I, those videos, they're every. They know like Facebook has got me because they're like, because I don't follow him on YouTube or anything. But I, I started to get hip to what he does, and it was just so powerful to me. And you know, he's funny and he's tricky about it sometimes. But he's just in this Walmart, and he's got all these, um, you know, like he's got the cases full of cash. And at one point, he walks this guy and he says, "Okay, would you rather make a thousand dollars?" Or give $10,000 away right now to anybody in the store. And the guy's like, give $10,000. So then he is running through the store. And it's just willy-nilly. Like, he's just looking for something. And he sees this mom. And it's this normal-looking mom just in her baby. And and he runs over and he's like, hey, this is for you. And she opens it and she starts losing it. And you're like, I mean, that's – you would anyway. But she literally says, like, she had just lost her job had some illness. It was the craziest thing wow. that that's the woman he picked. And then of course, Mr. Beast is like, here's $10,000 for you for picking to give it away. Oh, it's wow. amazing. But it, but it's like those things, man, it just ruins me. Like yeah. I'm just bawling watching these videos, so cool. you know, people's benevolence. Something I also really respect about you that I have a real fascination with, and I'd love for, for you to speak to this, but how um, candid you are about money how completely forthright you are about, I mean, when we had our breakfast, you were so open about money you'd made, how much y'all gave and all that stuff, which is so amazing. And I have a few friends that are like that. And I try to be like that too. Can you speak to that? Like what is the power in that one? Um, how do you get to that place too? And is it, what am I trying to, is it always healthy or do you have to be kind of careful about that ever? Yeah. I mean, great wisdom in that last statement. Yeah. So, um, I'll speak to like the theory and then the practice here. The theory is how can we find ways to disarm what has become a major idol in our culture? Hmm. Uh, Our culture does not talk about money. If you are a man and you're in a men's small group, you have probably shared really intimate details of your sin, you know, pornography addiction or whatever the thing is, but you will not talk about money. Yeah. Which makes no sense, especially compared against how often Jesus talked about it and how often it's talked about in the Bible and how clear of a stumbling block it can be. Uh, One reason I like to talk about it is it's healthy for my own heart to disarm the idol. Yeah. The second uh, piece, the practical piece is you do need to find safe spaces because it can be a stumbling block to yourself and others. So I have a group of guys, um, and that, that we're, we call each other our board of directors for life. Mm. And the concept is just like a company has a board of directors that is not involved in day-to-day management. 
But once a quarter, you can zoom out and think strategically about how am I doing as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as a child of God. And one of the things we do is share our finances with each other. Not as a gotcha, you know, not, not as a legalistic, like in my tithing, you know, my herbs, as we see in, you know, Jesus mm -hmm. criticized the Pharisees for doing in Matthew. Um, but rather as a celebration of the opportunities that God has given us to steward his resources. Mm -hmm. So what, what I would say is to the degree that we can be more open about money in our culture, we can disarm the idol. And at the same time, let's be wise and prudent about doing that to not cause a brother to stumble and not cause ourselves to stumble. Mm. Has it gotten easier, would you say, since you've kind of made this, uh, uh, I don't know if you would phrase it this way, but in 2015 or so, like, it sounds like you started this kind of thinking and this, this lifestyle, however you want to say it. How does now 2023 compare to back, you know, first couple years, is it, is it easier now or is it just as, as, uh, you have to be as disciplined to keep yourself on the rails? Kind yeah. Of great question. I mean, so the answer is more complicated. Uh -huh. And the reason mm. for that is our lives are now more complicated. You know, I think it's one thing to sit in an ivory tower in Cambridge, Massachusetts, writing about what we'll one day do with money that we don't yet have. And it's another mm -hmm. thing to mm -hmm. actually put it into practice. <laughs> so part of my personal story is the healthcare company that I worked for um, sold. And that resulted in a large liquidity event for my family. And so we achieved a level of wealth beyond what I had anticipated. Um, and we now have four kids and we live in Williamson County in Tennessee where it's like, you know, ultimate keeping up with the Joneses. Um, so the answer is more complicated at the same time. I think that is where I've had some of the inside that complexity is where I've had some of the most fun conversations with God, mm. because to the degree that you try to simplify it into just a formula, which we have, we have what we call a financial finish line, which is like a cap on how much we'll spend every year and also how much we'll save in total. So like I, I, I have guardrails that are firm, but the magic happens in the wrestling mm -hmm. and in talking with Allison about what it means to really provide flourishing for our kids. Um, very specific example. We are currently building a new house. Mm -hmm. I have had tons of spiritual heartburn about building this new house put it off for years, didn't want to do it, really uncomfortable with the financial obligation. But through a ton of prayer, talking with Allison and seeking counsel from other Christians, you know, it's been great wrestling. And I think Allison and I now have a vision for how to use this space for God's glory, you know, mm -hmm. going back to this sacred space idea, not analogizing a house to the temple, but just creating space for God's children to gather in his name. Uh, so much so that we now are like developing a scorecard to measure to what degree we're using the house for ministry purposes. Mm -hmm. Again, not legalistic, like are, are you tithing your herbs, but rather like a, a celebration of the utilization of God's resources for his glory. Mm -hmm. So that's a practical example of the complexity, like should we or should we not build this house? That's a tough question. But at the end of the day, it created space to have a cool conversation with God and develop a cool vision. Mm -hmm. There's something really beautiful. I learned this from a group of guys in Atlanta years ago, but they were some of the first guys that really 
sort of introduced me to real like open hearted vulnerability and in, in male friendships. Cause I didn't really know that at that point. I mean, I did, but not at the level they were doing it. And one of the things that was so counter cultural and counterintuitive to me was how much they invited them into decision-making like that where like one guy was going to buy a car and he sat with these guys and said, Hey, what would it be like if I bought this car? And you know, four out of the five were like, it's great. And one was like, Hey man, just candidly, it's, it would make me so I'll judge you. Like, and that probably as much me as it is you, but I just thought, what a crazy thing to really open up your life to a group of people to say, Hey, this is where I am, but I'm giving you some authority in what I'm deciding because then it also vindicates a decision in some way because you know, you feel supported or at least it's out there. And so I think what's, what's so, I love what's so powerful about what you're saying too, is this idea that like, you know, you, you can live in a space. I have some younger friends of mine, um, who are in music here and they have a, a Bible study together. And I'm always just so amazed by how these guys are really open about financial stuff. And at that age, you know, being in their thirties, already kind of having these conversations and really inviting each other into like, Hey, this is kind of where we're looking at moving some money around doing this and that. And the other, you know, couples kind of being abreast of that to go like, yeah, that that's great. And it just takes so much of the power away from it, you know? And, and so I think that that was such a, um, as, as you, you're doing with your friends and, you know, it's, it, it's, there's something that's so un-American about that. It's unbelievably un-American. You know, it's like, you just kind of have your wealth and you hold it and everybody's kind of like looking over your fence. We're like, Oh, we got a new, it's got a Cadillac or whatever. You know, it's like, then you're left guesstimating like, Oh, he must be doing, you know, whatever. Where my friends who would just go, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is the new pay I'm getting. And this is what we, whatever. You're like, Oh, well there it all is. You know? And you'd have to be careful because I've, I've actually had some of those conversations that really mess with me. Yes. And I came home and was like, I don't know that that was healthy for me. Cause now I'm, I'm, I'm in my head about whatever, but I do think there is something that is really helpful about living in a way that, um, cause I think the thing that's great about it too, is if I had a friend who I knew was really benevolent, like gen- genuinely really benevolent. And then he went and built some house that I was like, man, that's, I'm not, that's not a struggle for me because I know his heart mm-hmm. and I, I guarantee you his heart isn't to build some huge house. It's because he has an intent to it. You know, that's, it's not thoughtless. There's intent because I see that his, his hands are open and doing these things where I think, you know, that struggle where, you know, if I was suddenly like, Oh, people would be like, Oh, what's Barnes over there doing? You exactly. Know I mean? Big so, time, man. I think you nailed it. It's like this concept of community is uncontroversial in all other areas of our life. Yeah. You know, we all know that we need community in our faith. Name your Christian virtue, you know, whether it's around your marriage or parenting or go down the list. It's like uncontroversial that community is a positive. Yeah. And then for some reason we've allowed our like capitalism, you know, you know, Protestant work ethic type deal to, to cause us to think that for some reason that doesn't apply to money. And I think that's just like a victory of the enemy that we need to beat back against. Yeah. And I think Dave, you nailed it. Like when you, you know, money, um, for better or worse, it's not so much that it is in isolation, a big part of our life, but it sort of influences all these other parts of our life. It just kind of flows into a lot of parts of our life. And so to the degree you can bring that into the conversation with your Christian community, you're actually being more authentic Mm -hmm. and you highlighted some of the negatives because otherwise what we do is just peek over shoulders, judge people, make estimations on what they're, you know, are they being wise with their money, judging their purchases, Um, which is really just like an excuse to be like pernicious in our own hearts, you know? Um, (laughs) and I think getting it out in the open causes empathy 
uh, and unity in your community, which, by the way, is actually like even more important than yeah. being super benevolent. Yeah, you, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very well said. Very well, well said. Well, it's letting somebody in on that part of your life. It really sheds light on all the all the forward facing parts of our lives that we that we are comfortable with. I mean, like if you you can you can sort of like set up, hey, everybody, this is who I am. This is what's important to me. Here are all the things and build all these relationships. And then you, they see your finances and they might be like, well, I mean, you've kind of, you know, you've said that these things were really important, but yet that's doesn't, that doesn't really translate on paper kind of a thing. That's right. I think that's why we keep it so hidden. You know, Billy Graham said that, uh, give me 10 minutes with someone's checkbook and I'll tell you like what's yeah. important to their yeah. heart, yeah. Yeah. you know? So I think there is a degree of accountability. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it can start. And then what we've seen in our community is over time that grows, it's less about the accountability. I mean, that's there, don't get me wrong, but now seven, eight years into this, because I know that I'm accountable, I'm also, it's easier to sort of live within reasonable yeah. Yeah. bounds. Yeah. It just has become normative. Now those conversations are more celebratory. You know, mm-hmm. now we spend more of our time talking about the coolest opportunities that God gave us to give this year or how we are growing in our marriage through finding cool purposes that started with benevolence. Yeah. Um, and so I think that I, I think like level one is the accountability piece, which is super real. And then the opportunity that God offers us is even more richness above and beyond that. Hmm. Uh, okay, so we've we've had you a long time, so I only have a couple more questions here. Um, how for those who are listening, who are, um, let's say, un- like they know tithing, you know, like they're by, you know, we all know like the good old, the ten percent, which is great, and there's no belittling that, which is awesome, and God blesses, I think. Um, how would you then describe the difference of what we're going to? You said like for someone who's listening, this is kind of a novel idea. With like, I just haven't thought about really active giving, like a really, uh, 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 aggressive giving, like more than just we, you know, you very, uh, disciplined, put away your 10% giving to the church, which is again, great. And that's how churches can function. So I'm super thankful for that. But how would you describe thinking more? What does it look like to be like a step more than that, where you really are thinking about benevolence that's beyond that? Yeah. Big time. So first I'll say the average American gives 2.3% of their income away. Wow. The average American Christian gives 2.7% of their income oh, away. Oh, wow. So immaterially different from non-Christians. Wow. As my favorite author, Randy Alcorn says, tithing is a great place to start, but a poor place to finish. <laughs> um, and so, you know, my first thought is a lot of people have not yet surrendered their money to the Lord in their heart. And when that first step, I think, looks like tithing for most families. I do understand that there are certain families or even, you know, like think about someone in college with who's in debt and has no income, right? So even tithing is unrealistic at certain phases of life. In those cases where even tithing is unrealistic, I would say don't forego all of the spiritual benefit that comes from living generously just because you can't give 10%. Mm -hmm. Give what you can give. Um, Be the widow with the widow's might and uh, surrender what you do have to the Lord and give a little, and you'll get a lot of spiritual fruit. Let God multiply that 30, 60, 100 times. Mm. Then when you get to a point where tithing is could be realistic, especially if you like took off some of American consumerism, you know that's a great place to start. Beyond that, there's clearly no command in Scripture for how much to give. Certainly there's no right answer for any one family. 
there, you know, or that, or rather that applies to all families is what mm. I mean to say, but there is a right answer for your family. Mm. And that might change every year. And the way that you can know that is like, let's remember that we're all indwelt with the spirit and you can ask them, you know? And I think through like, a, <laughs> you know, a fun conversation that Allison and I have with the Holy spirit every year is how do you want to use your money this year? Mm. And we get really clear <laughs> answers on that. And it's like, not magic, you know? I mean, that's like, we're promised, like, you know, we see, you know, we see an ax, like the spirits within us. And so, uh, you know, Allison and I have, have increased our giving year over year as a percentage. There's no magic in our percentages. What I would say is the increase in percentage of giving is less important than the increase in percentage of surrender that is done in my mm-hmm. heart to the Lord. And so that is step one. And then you'll just want to give. So mm-hmm. now that I, now I think giving is like the most fun way to spend money you know, at this point. Mm. Uh, and I think when you're in that point, you're just like in the flow of what the Lord is doing. Mm. God, that's a good way to put mm. that. If, if, I mean, uh, giving is the most fun way to spend money. I mean, I need that tattooed on my arm. What a truth though. You know what I mean? That that is an actual way you can spend money. I don't think of it that way. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you're just giving money. It's, no, no, you're spending it. It's just not, you're not getting what you're used to getting from it, man. And so, you know, uh, in scripture where it says, uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive mm-hmm. that word. Blessed is actually not a great translation. Like a better translation of the Greek there is happy making. It's more mm-hmm. happy making to give than to receive. And let's take scripture at face value on this yeah. and try it out. And one of the most fun ways to do that is to track some of those stories. Mm. So, you know, one thing Allison and I like to do now, we have two other families we do this with once a year, we sit down and tell a bunch of giving stories Mm. and man, there is no hour that gives me more life than that zoom call Yeah, to just hear about the fun, creative ways that the spirit called us into his redemptive work. Mm. God, that's good. That's cool, man. And I think too, it's important, you know, two quick thoughts I had is, which I know you've spoken to too, is like, I have to be careful too, that it's actually easier for me to give money than it is my time. Mm. And I think that's where God's like, no, 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 we're not just talking money here. In fact, I may not be talking money as much as I have other things, but it's easy for me to think of benevolence. Like, Oh, I'd much rather give this place some money and then I can feel good. Then when somebody's like, Hey, can you come help me? I'm mm-hmm. like, no, but I can pay for somebody to come help Big you. Time. You know what I mean? So I think one, it's remembering that. And then two, to your point, I just want to circle back. That I think it's probably blessed me as much as anything. And sort of with Annie and I is, realizing what you said so well, but I just want to circle back earlier. It doesn't benevolence um, and giving doesn't mean it has to be zip codes away. Right. And some of the most that Annie and I have been blessed is with friends is with people that we know very well, or people that live in Nashville or families we know that are in Franklin. It, I think that's sometimes the devil's great sort of shadow games is he's like, well, the reason this is hard is because you have to send a check away somewhere or send it where it's like, you know, even just paying for somebody's lunch every now and then, you know, just those things that give me so much um, life. And that's one of my best friends. Like, I don't know if he needs my money, but that's not the point, right? Exactly. It's, it's the benevolent, it's, it's this, it's the posture of my heart. And so I think if anybody's listening, that it feels overwhelming because you think like, well, I need to find a foundation or nonprofit or whatever. I think this stuff plays out as much literally to your next door neighbors as it does for the people who, you know, may be in a third world country that, that need it too, you know? And I think that's, and it's almost, to me, that's a better way to practice the discipline because it can be done daily. That's right. You know. I think you nailed a few points there. One is coming for full circle around your choice to use the word benevolence versus charity. Mm. Is, I mean, charity is great. Don't get me wrong. But the there's a connotation of handout when you yeah. say charity. Yeah. The connotation of benevolence is a joyful gift. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, one of my mentors, Todd Harper, likes to say that when it comes to giving, God wants something for us, not from us. Wow. Remember, he doesn't need our money. And Mm -hmm. so to your point, local giving to your local community, to people in your circle, even if they don't need it, like to your point, buying, you know, lunch for your friend creates a virtuous cycle of what I'll call like Christian happiness, Mm. you know, and which is really just the spirit flowing between Mm. us. Yeah. Uh, And I think that leads to greater intimacy together in our community and greater intimacy with Christ, which is the more important thing. So now to that, you know, anytime we have a friend who's sick, boom, automatic care package. Yeah. Yeah. At at this point, Allison and I have like little, they're basically like generosity drugs that we take. Like (laughs) if this happens, I will like get this little dosage, like the dopamine hit. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, And it's great. And like, you know, yes. Like if I sent that hundred bucks to whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, the Mm -hmm. orphan in Africa, like higher ROI, maybe so. And we're doing plenty of that too. Mm -hmm. But just remembering that really this giving is for our heart to grow toward the Lord. Yeah. You know, I think giving locally. I think too, loving your neighbor also literally means loving your neighbor. Yes. And I think that's, that's something that we can get misconstrued sometimes. Like it needs to be a more grandiose far thing where I think God's like, no, I mean, maybe the most I've been disciplined or discipled, sorry, early in my life was, uh, one of my friends, I just could not eat with him without him paying for it. And this is back when this helped me. I mean, mm-hmm. this is like early twenties when, you know, I was like, had no money playing shows and it, it just, it, I would get so emotional and I, you couldn't, he was sneaky. He was like a ninja and you'd go eat with him and there'd be 10 of us and it'd be like, you know, kind of a nice restaurant at the time for me, you know, whatever. And Applebee's. Yeah. I was going to say, and, um, and you know, we'd be, and he, and I got it. And you're always like, well, I watched her and he's like, well, I walked it, you know, and, and my friendship with this guy was instrumental. And again, this is a friend of mine. And, and did I need him to do that? No, like I wasn't living in, you know, squalor or in a third, like I was, you know, a white guy was playing music, like better off than most people, but even his benevolence toward me, it shaped my life because I couldn't beat it. And it made me so fascinated with like, why does he do this? Like, I want to, I want to be like that. Mm -hmm. And I became like that because of a friend, a neighbor doing that for me. It wasn't, you know, someone far away sending me checks. It wasn't, you know, a foundation set up to help me and my family uh, live. It was literally just a friend of mine who did it because he just loved doing it Mm -hmm. and it changed my life. And so I think there's a real power in your initial community. And when we think about benevolence to, to invest in just that, you know, just to see it be a daily discipline with friends and little ways you can give. And it changes your heart. It really does. It's the most transformative thing I know. And what I believe is just that piece, you know? So thank you for being here. Okay. We have two questions that we always leave with, um, which I think maybe you sort of spoke to these, but I'll ask the first one. What is the thing with these four beautiful children you have? What is the one thing you want them to know? Yeah. You know, the one thing I want my kids to know, and when I say no, I mean experience in the root of their being is what it feels like to abide with the Lord. Mm. And I think when we really get a sense of what it means to abide in the Trinity through the spirit, we see what is at the heart of the Trinity, which in my opinion is identity, Mm. who God made us to be purpose, why God made us to be. And most importantly, the deep and immense love that he has for us. Mm. And if my, I've sat in that place in rare moments in my life. And if my kids can sit in that place 
in the spirit, full of identity and purpose and experiencing God's love, that will result in great joy. Mm. And I want them to know that. That is to say, experience it in their depth. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what do you want your kids to say at your funeral? Mm. Yeah. Um, I want uh, my kids to say at my funeral um, that I loved God with my whole heart Mm. and that I spent my whole life seeking to radiate that love onto Mm. those around me. Um, And I want them to know that the people that I cared the most to radiate that love onto was Allison and my kids. Mm. That's what Mm -hmm. I want them to be certain of. God, that's beautiful. Great. Beautiful. Thank you, brother. I'm really thankful for what you do. Really, really thankful. Guys, thanks so much for having me. Dead fish.